The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. If you're looking for anybody but me, forget it. Are they all gone? That's right. Is there any hope from the latest reports? No, not yet. But believe me, Morgan, we'll find an answer. When, Doctor? We need it right now. I need it. You're the only one who wasn't afraid to come here today. What's going to happen, Dr. Mercer? Is everybody in the world going to die before someone finds the answer? No, I don't think so. But mankind won't be destroyed. The fact that you and I are working here today is evidence of that. Welcome, everyone. It is Thursday, May the 7th, 2020. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing. It's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. Well, here we are, still in a state of tyranny. Today on the show, it's COVID-19 meets climate change, pandemic parallels, and how COVID-19 is being used as a political climate changer. Our conversation begins right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org, hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave, follow us and like us on your favorite podcast platform, and visit us at www.justrightmedia.org, where you can access all of Just Right's social media links and our archived broadcasts. Always consider offering your financial support. Everyone who donates $25 or more will receive a copy of the 52-page full-color publication, Climate Essentials. I have reached the point now where, for me, the whole COVID-19 issue has morphed into another fighting climate change issue. On last week's show, I called for an immediate end to the shutdown, noting how there were so many people who were opposed to ending the shutdown, most notably, again, the people on the left. And the people on the left, they want the shutdown to continue indefinitely. The COVID-19 shutdown is a leftist, wildest dream come true. You're going to hear it for yourself today. Those on the right insist that the shutdowns be ended, claiming that there's no longer a need to do so in light of the fact that all of the fears originally justifying them are no longer an issue, and you'll be hearing from them today as well. But more and more, the COVID-19 crisis is looking like a deja vu of the climate change crisis, the United Nations-led conspiracy to destroy capitalism on a global scale. The very same propaganda tactics and terminology for fighting climate change are now being used to fight coronavirus. For example, what were once climate change deniers are now coronavirus deniers, as we pointed out on the show last week. And deplatforming, demonetizing, and censoring dissenting views on social media have become part of the keep things shut down strategy, as California doctors Dan Erickson and Artin Masihi who were both featured on last week's broadcast, as they discovered when YouTube removed their media briefing from the YouTube platform. And just as with fighting climate change, when it comes to ending the COVID-19 shutdown, politicians insist that quote-unquote science will be the determinant of their actions. Yet this has never been the case with either issue. 
Meanwhile, police state tactics forcing social distancing are unconscionable and violate every principle upon which a free society is based. And talk of managing, quote-unquote, the economic recovery is that of communists and fascists announcing that the state is now permanently in charge of private enterprise and business. This is no longer a viral pandemic. It's a political, economic, and social pandemic made possible by decades of drifting morally, intellectually, and politically leftward. Now, you might have heard that last week Michael Moore released his movie called Planet of the Humans, the title based, of course, on the Planet of the Apes. It was initially set for a cinematic release, but is temporarily available free online, and I honestly suggest everyone check it out. And despite what you're about to hear me say about this movie and about what its producers have said, I am being quite sincere and motivated by recommending that you watch it at your earliest opportunity, especially if the offer to view it free expires in a few weeks. Earlier last week, Robert Vaughn shared an email with a handful of us wherein he wrote, quote, I watched Michael Moore's latest documentary, Planet of the Humans, yesterday. Without a doubt, it is the vilest anti-human visual screed to hit the internet in weeks. <laughs> in weeks. I can see that the left, including Jagmeet Singh and Elizabeth May, has trashed it. Probably not because it lays the bare hypocrisy of millionaire socialists like Al Gore and Richard Branson, but because it makes abundantly clear to those of us looking for these things that it pushes the real leftist agenda. Depopulation. And here I would interject that that could be one reason, but I think the real reason they trashed it is because it exposed the true destructive nature of all the green energy projects that these politicians have been foisting on us. Robert continues, In a nutshell, Planet of the Humans posits that no form of energy is able to power our current consumptive industrial civilization. The so-called green energy touted by environmentalists is no more sustainable than fossil fuels. It exposes those who promote green energy as billionaire capitalists who only push the green agenda for their own green agenda. Greed. Albeit the one millionaire socialist missing from this hit piece is Michael Moore, net worth $50 million. The fact that green energy advocates are corrupt and that green energy is incapable of powering our needs are of course true. But these things have been talked about for decades by far more honest people than Michael Moore or writer Jeff Gibbs. The film is stridently against the following. Fossil fuels, all forms, wind energy, solar energy, biomass energy, mining, banks, capitalism, the profit motive, meat, plastic, industrial civilization, etc. This is not an exhaustive list. And at the two-minute mark, the movie narrator lays out the theme of the film. Humans have gone too far and it's time for them to go. And at the 46-minute mark, quote, There are too many human beings using too much too fast. As a global community, we really have got to start dealing with the issue of population. Population growth continues to be, not the elephant, the herd of elephants in the room. Can a single species that's come to dominate an entire planet be smart enough to voluntarily limit its own presence? End quote. The production ends with a quote from Rachel Carson, whose activism was indirectly responsible for the deaths of tens of millions. Quote, humankind is challenged as it has never been challenged before to prove its maturity and its mastery, not of nature, but of itself. End quote by Rachel Carson. Now, Salim Mansour, who was on the mailing list of Robert's message there, had his own reaction to these comments, and he writes, quote, I have nothing but contempt for Michael Moore and his work and his politics and simply the disgusting person that he is as seen in public. 
My view of him might be well open to question, but I am not prepared to spend my time watching this latest filth from him. Are we to be surprised by any aspect of left-wing politics? 20th century history has to be airbrushed out completely from record for anyone with any self-respect and integrity to be aligned with the left or engaged in left-wing politics. I think the generation born after the millennial clock turned over to the 21st century is to be forgiven if individuals from this cohort now in their teens or just out of it drift towards the left with the misbegotten view or ideology drummed into their heads by their elders about how the left is a band of social justice warriors. But anyone born before the Berlin Wall came down in 1989 is mentally deficient or sick or a socio-psychopath in their makeup if they still spout left-wing politics. So what you say about the premise of Michael Moore's documentary as anti-human can simply be described as neo-Malthusian. Paul Ehrlich's famous book, The Population Bomb, was about the unsustainability of the global population's projected growth and the doomsday scenario that followed over how to constrain this growth. It became the staple of the Club of Rome's activism with the publication of their widely circulated monograph, Limits to Growth, in the early 70s. The Club of Rome was a who's who of the intellectuals at the time, and Pierre Trudeau was a notable member of the club. The Malthusian premise that geometrical growth of population, unless called, would outstrip food supply, leading to mass famines, was a 19th century idea that was long past its expiry date in the mid-20th century. Both predictions were grossly wrong as human ingenuity was underrated, if not ignored. The man who drove the stake through the heart of Paul Ehrlich's theory of population and famine was Norman Borlaug an American agronomist and truly one of the most important scientists of the 20th century. He was awarded the Nobel Prize for Peace for the green revolution he brought about that massively changed the nature of agriculture in the poor third world countries. Mrs. Indira Gandhi's green revolution in India was directly the result of Norman Borlaug's work and India, with a comparable population as Mao's China, never went through the famine that most Westerners at the time were fearful about given India's persistent poverty. The left's obsession with the idea of saving Mother Earth from humans is the self-loathing of the left, whose flip side is a simmering hatred of humans in general. There is no genuine solidarity on the left's part with the oppressed or the dispossessed or the injured except in the abstract which amounts to nothing more than virtue signaling of the left, end quote. Now, I generally agree with what Salim has expressed here, but even so, again, I still recommend this latest filth called Planet of the People. But I recommend it with a warning. Yes, the movie is utterly anti-life and anti-capitalist, but it is also a brutal and honest expose of the fraud that has been calling itself the Green Movement and all of the green energy initiatives. It confirms everything that I and others have ever said about solar wind and the other so-called renewable energy sources in the sense that, that they're all infinitely more polluting and destructive to nature and to the planet than fossil fuels could ever be. This movie, produced by left-wing environmentalists, actually comes to that same conclusion based on the visible and unavoidable evidence that now demonstrates this to be fact. But these left-wingers have absolutely no idea of cause and consequence, particularly of how their own energy initiatives would lead to this inevitable outcome. So consequently, 
I think the sheer gall of this film and of its producers is to turn this utter failure of the environmental movement into a renewed justification for a continued attack on capitalism and on humanity itself. They've got it completely backwards. So where does COVID-19 fit into all of this? Well, the producers of Planet of the Humans think that the current COVID-19 shutdown is a perfect representative of their own ideal economic and social condition. You have to hear it to believe it. And that's why I insist that we do. In our upcoming audio bites, we are about to explicitly hear some voices of the left, which may seem a bit odd on a show called Just Right, and they are specifically the voices of Michael Moore, Jeff Gibbs, and Ozzy Zayner, producers and promoters of the movie Planet of the Humans. So sorry to put you through this, but if you don't hear it for yourself, you might otherwise think I'm exaggerating and making it up, or being, you know, embellishing my account of what they're saying. So here they are beginning with Michael Moore, as heard on his own YouTube channel on April 22nd. We're coming to you right now tonight in the midst of this pandemic. And of course, some of you are saying, why are you bothering us with this during a pandemic? I can't think of a better time because, we, first of all, we all had some time to think, haven't we, this month? Think about the things that aren't working. Everybody talks about, let's get back to normal. I don't want to go back to normal. I don't want to... I don't want the normal of going from 350 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere to now it's over 410, 410 parts per million. We have been failing, we have been losing, and no matter what happy face some people want to put on this, this is the time right now we should be thinking about when we come out of this pandemic, how are we going to fix this planet and fix ourselves so that what we're going through now, I personally think, is is um, minor league compared to what we're, what the planet and the atmosphere and the climate and the environment and those in power, those with the money, what's going to happen to us, the next thing that's going to happen. Not going to be necessarily a coronavirus, something we can't even think of right now. But the facts are the facts. And... Um, we were told that we could, should not go above 350 parts uh, per million of carbon in the atmosphere. We're way over that now. We were told that was the limit. If we went past that, that's it. I believe that. I believe it now. I believe we're in serious, serious trouble. And um, uh, we need action. And, and we need some new, fresh thinking. This really isn't a discussion about um, renewable energy or... Um, all these things that we've just been talking about, but it's really about who are we and why do we allow a system of greed, the profit motive, perpetual growth, all of these things that how we structure ourselves, the, how we structure the economy, how we structure ourselves politically, and we, we've somehow missed the boat here, and I desperately want us to get back on track yeah, I think we're in a time when we're getting um, a good lesson in what we need to do. Um, and unfortunately, it's coming through the pandemic. It's coming through um, deaths that shouldn't be and uh, the mishandling of the pandemic. But the pandemic emerged from a planet that's very upset with us. You know, it's, it's as if our Mother Earth said, time out, go to your room and think about this. What are the time out room? And 
which we're in, by the way. All we're in the we're all in our timeout range right now, skyping, you know, or you know, connecting through um, digital means. But um, and there's two parts to that where this timeout is causing us to use less energy, to travel less, to consume less, to buy less. Um, it's causing us to connect with each other, sometimes maybe not personally, but to make these connections that we wouldn't normally make. Um, and it's uh, so it's teaching us that the thing that's in the movie is possible, but it's hard for us to get our heads around. It's hard to get your head around uh, when we've been told our entire lives that the solution is to buy more things, you know, buy electric cars, build more solar panels, uh, build wind turbines, um, you know, invest in green credits, invest in carbon offsets. And so to do the turnaround that the solution is to do less, we can actually get to be lazier. We get to not mow the lawn and up will spring wildflowers and butterflies will come back. Um, so this lesson in doing less is part of what we need to connect the movie with. Um, but part of the reason it's so hard is that we literally, the main thing we need to do is change the story that we're in. I'd love to list 50 specific things, but it's more about us grieving and letting go of the old story and coming together to create a new story of how we're gonna live where, where, where I like to say less is the new more. And what kind of world would we be in where we all took care of each other, lived closer together, um, where humans were eventually surrounded by more wild nature, nature recovering, um, and we all took care of each other and valued that more than we did flying all over the planet, getting my third iPhone, you know, in three years. So, um, you know. We are up against a number of enemies, um, mostly the 1% who like things the way they are. They want to, they want to make money. And, um, and the fact that they've involved themselves now in the green movement is uh, really sad. It's, yeah, we're at once the most destructive creature that's ever existed on this planet. We have to own that and Absolutely. understand we are. And, you know, 97% of all mammals are now humans, cows, and pets. 97%? You mean of, right. you know, of all mammals? All mammals on planet. 70% of birds are chickens. Since Earth Day, and probably maybe in the last 40 years, I, I believe something like half of all wildlife has died off. When we were kids, there weren't even hardly plastics. Now they fill the ocean. Right, right. But why am I hopeful? Because I know we are the humans. What we do is adapt and change. We can do that in a destructive way, but we can also get a new story and collectively come to grips with who we are and who we want to be. What an opportunity to actually invent the sustainable human and the sustainable culture and not pretend that giant industrial machines plastered across the landscape is going to make us sustainable. Uh, what an opportunity this is before us and how are we going to have a world where we celebrate um, true sustainability, which is less of everything and sharing everything. To me, that's the real Green New Deal, right? Less of everything and sharing everything, taking care of everyone across this planet. 
Uh, you know, we Americans consume on average uh, three times more than most of the rest of the world. And some people, I, I believe, what is it, Ozzy? I know it's 20 or 30 times more than the poorest people on this planet, maybe 50 times more. There's a huge discrepancy on the planet between the haves and the haves nots. And so it's not just about reducing our consumption. I mean, it's really about reducing consumption in the rich world. Uh, and then there's other people in the world who, who need more. And so there's there's that unequal distribution that's, that's so tragic as well that we have to keep in, in our heads at the same time. Folks, less is for morons. And that entire conversation was moronic. Three people who have not even a single clue or fundamental understanding about the subjects of their conversation. I don't want to go back to normal, says Moore, citing statistics that say we've gone from 350 parts per million to over 410 parts per million of carbon in the atmosphere. Well, we don't want to go back to normal, say the COVID-19 politicians and healthcare authorities, citing statistics that show increasing cases of confirmed COVID-19 virus carriers. All of the statistics related to either issue are irrelevant to whether or not we should end the shutdown, but totally relevant to all the cases made by the people who are using the statistics. They're completely statistically bound up in their own BS. Then comes a true confession out of the mouth of Michael Moore, and get this, quote, This isn't really a discussion about renewable energy, but about who we are and why do we allow a system of greed, the profit motive, perpetual growth, and all of these ways that we structure ourselves. How we structure the economy, how we structure ourselves politically, we have to get back on track, end quote. So all along, the environmental movement was not about renewable energy or reducing CO2, but about attacking capitalism, a system of greed, the profit motive, and perpetual growth. And then Jeff Gibbs adds his two bits. <laughs> this time out is causing us to use less energy, to travel less, to consume less, to buy less, to connect with each other, but not personally. No, no, can't do that. <laughs> the solution is to do less, he says. I... I <laughs> I started laughing out loud. I'm not kidding you. We get to be lazier and not mow the lawn. Wildflowers and butterflies will come back. We need to change the story we're living in. I'd love to list 50 specific things, but it's really more about us grieving and letting go of the old story and coming together to create a new story where less is the new more where we took care of each other, lived closer together, surrounded by more wild nature, and valued that more than flying over the planet and getting a third iPhone in three years, end quote. I mean, does that sound crazy just on its, on its own merit? Jeff Gibbs is touting the natural laziness of the left because they always want something for nothing. That's at the heart of all of this, which is not only a physical laziness, but an intellectual and moral laziness as well. And not only are lefties always wanting something for nothing, but in this case, they actually want something to be made out of nothing. They think that what they've got and that they can keep their style of living by everybody doing nothing. I mean, how, how much do you have to lose your mind to come to a conclusion like that? He's utterly delusional, almost to the point of requiring hospitalization. I mean, to create a new story where less is the new more, where we took care of each other, live closer to... This guy is completely disconnected from reality. Completely. He says he loved to, you know, list 50 specific things he'd like to do, but you know why he doesn't do it? Because that would be revealing of the tyranny and fascism that those 50 things probably represent. I mean, think of China 
and 50 things of what it does to its citizens. Gibbs' thinking depends on literal contradictions, like less is more. No, it isn't. I got news for you. Less is less, and more is more. And what I want to know is, to which specific measurement do these less is more measurements more or less apply? <laughs> to what noun do they attach their adjectives of more and less? More and less of what? Well, the answer to that is, to anything that you own or you earn, plus your freedom and your rights. And then Jeff Gibbs really displays his sheer ignorance and stupidity. Quote, we're the most destructive creature that ever existed on the planet. 97% of all mammals on planet are humans, cows, and pets. 70% of birds are chickens. I mean, and he says half of all wildlife has died off since Earth Day, since the first Earth Day. Well, first, humans are not the most destructive creature on the planet. They're constructive creatures. And citing more irrelevant statistics, the fact that 97% of all mammals on the planet are humans, cows, and pets does not mean that there are 97% fewer numbers of wild animals on the planet. There could be more. Nor does the make-believe fact that 70% of birds are chickens mean that any other birds had to die or be destroyed to make room for the chickens. What kind of thinking is that? What it means is that capitalist human beings do not destroy nature in order to survive. Humanity produces its own food by raising its own produce. That's the capitalist way. The less is more world envisioned by Jeff Gibbs is the one that exists in China today and in many of the world's poorest nations. And in China, guess what? They have wet markets where wild animals, not domesticated and raised animals, are slaughtered for food to feed the starving billions who live under collectivism, the very system that these guys are advocating. Then we have the third participant of the conversation, Ozzy Zayner, who cites quote, a huge discrepancy between the haves and have-nots. It's not about reducing consumption, but really about reducing consumption in the rich world. There are other people in the world who need more. There's an unequal distribution, and that's so tragic. Oh. <laughs> I'm sorry. So in other words, <laughs> they're explicitly calling for a make-the-rich-pay Marxist battle cry. And in this case, everyone who lives in the West has to have their wealth transferred to those, quote, other people in the world who need more. Now, <laughs> put that in the context of all the other things they've just said. Funny how other people in the world need more when all of these speakers just agreed that less is more. <laughs> which means, by their way of thinking, that the people who have less actually have more. Because less is more, right? <laughs> so the problem regarding the other poorer people in the world is already solved, since they've already arrived at the destination of left, where less is more. I mean, the altruism of these guys is directed at the planet abstractly and at the imaginary other people who need more. They have not a single clue of how to concretize or make real any of their altruistic fantasies. They are, in effect, celebrating our current state of tyranny and calling for making it a permanent feature of the new normal. And the greatest irony and revelation of Moore's lamenting the fact that rich capitalists want to get involved in the green movement is that he should have been celebrating those capitalists, particularly since they created the very forms of green energy that he himself and the entire green movement has been advocating 
for decades. But apparently, only those who have less rather than more are welcome in the Green Movement. Good luck with that. Now the left is turning against the very people who have brought their own dreams of renewable energy to life and making them the 1% enemy so as to deflect from the utter failure of their own environmental policies. The truly significant and frightening thing about listening to the producers of Planet of the Humans is that the irrational and evil philosophy that they're spouting is the same philosophy driving and motivating all of the world leaders. Trump accepted, and many of the politicians of almost every political party sitting in the world's various legislatures. From Canada's Justin Trudeau to Ontario's Doug Ford, these folks are all philosophically and politically on the same page when it comes to altruism, and therefore to collectivism, and therefore to tyranny. All life, in all its forms, requires perpetual growth. And that includes human beings, you know that? When Jeff Gibbs argues that we Americans consume three times more than most of the rest of the world and 20 to 50 times more than the poorest people in it, he has it backwards. Americans produce 20 to 50 times more than the poorest people on the planet. People who are poor because they have less and not more because they produce less and not more. They're being totally consistent with your philosophy. But they have to live in the kinds of societies that the producers of Planet of the Humans idealize. They have no idea of the connection between their own ideas and the conditions they say they're against. So I don't, I don't know what to believe. They're so disjointed, they never complete a sentence. When I was editing their stuff, it was like they would start on a sentence, get halfway through it, it would peter out, and they would never concretize it. It's like they were all freaking stoned out of their minds and couldn't finish a sentence. So if you think that what you've heard so far defies reason, on this side of our upcoming bumper, one more round of the discussion between Moore, Gibbs, and Zayner, while on the return side, an audio bite from the movie itself. Uh, in a sense, we've all gotten too comfortable uh, with the idea of, 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 of growth and expecting growth and expecting more and more and more. And so it's not surprising that the environmental movement would begin to sell solar cars or electric cars right from their websites. And, you know, once you start saying that technology like solar panels that people are going to profit from, once you start advocating as that's the solution, you kind of lose your, your role as an independent uh, person about the, about the truth. So I think this happens slowly. Um, remember the three hours? No, I, don't, I remember the triangles. I don't remember the, what, what, what do the three hours stand for? Reading, writing, and arithmetic? Reduce, <laughs> reuse, and recycle was the last choice. And so what's happened- The idea was let's reduce our consumption. Right. Reuse what we have, not make more of it. And then recycle. So, but what happened to all of us that we forgot the reduce and the reuse part, which was an original insight so I think not only our environmental leaders, but we're all guilty of moving away from that um, into this disposable culture. Um, around 1800, when we first got addicted to fossil fuels, uh, the population of the world was about 700 million people. The whole world. The whole world. In the 700 million. And that, so the last time we were not using fossil fuels to prop up the civilization there were 700 million people, this global, the global population. And it took us how many years 
to get to that 700 million population. 20,000 years, however you want to measure it, 50,000 years? The early humans, and, yeah. Yeah, and the, the last 200, we've gone up to 10 times to, to 7 million. That's that hockey stick, just like Al Gore showed in An Inconvenient Truth of the Carbon. That's the same hockey stick with population. Mm -hmm. But what's really flipped me out was when I added in the consumption. It's increased by 10 times on average, and for most of us, much more than that. Um, since we got addicted to fossil fuels. So that spike, when you add in the consumption, is just through the ceiling. So we very delicately bring up population because it's a, it's a subject that kind of, um, you know, it's almost not permitted to talk about it anymore. But definitely job one is our consumption because that's the thing we're so out of control with. But what scares me and what drove me to make this film is realizing in both those domains, we're so far beyond what the planet supported. Uh, was it even sustainable back then? We went through an ocean full of whales just to prop up an 1800s and 1900s lifestyle. We burned down all the trees in North America just to keep ourselves going in fuel and heat uh, because they use trees to power industry. Um, so this is, as in making this film, these things dawned on me that we're in so much more trouble um, then we realize, and it's not just the fossil fuels, it's we've expanded our human presence so far beyond what's likely to be sustainable. Um, and it seems like we're just kind of pretending that this can go on. And so I, I, that's the part of the film that I find so compelling because it's really our operating system. And we have to change that operating system before we can even start to think about how to move forward. And again, what are we going to do with more nuclear power? Um, you know, we're going to do the same things we're doing now unless we end this myth that infinite growth on a finite planet is possible and sustainable and survivable. And the only reason we think that it's survivable is because basically this growth machine has served us very well. Maybe we're doing better than we were in the 60s and 70s and 80s and 90s. We have more stuff. We have more goodies. We have more people consuming more, and we confuse that with how the planet's doing. You might ask yourself, how could men destroy what remains of nature to enrich themselves? Well, that's why they're billionaires, and you're not. <laughs> the takeover of the environmental movement by capitalism is now complete. Environmentalists are no longer resisting those with the profit motive, but collaborating with them. The Nature Conservancy is now the Logging Conservancy. We will capture the most important pieces biologically, and there will be another large block sold to timber investment groups. The Union of Concerned Scientists has become the Union of Concerned Salesmen, having taken millions not for science, but to create markets for electric cars. The Sierra Club sells electric cars and solar panels right from their website. The best thing about Sungevity is that they make it easy for you. All that you have to do is to say yes. 
The New York Times partners with ExxonMobil to bring you the good news about biofuels. Algae-derived fuel could help us meet growing demand. Treehugger.com, which claims to be the largest single source of environmental news, was founded and funded by Georgia Pacific, a logging company. In fact, they are neighbors. Georgia Pacific is owned by our friends the Koch brothers, who are likely the largest recipient of green energy biomass subsidies in the United States. Yes, the merger of environmentalism and capitalism is now complete. But maybe it's always been complete. Now I know this all might seem overwhelming. It's the kind of thing that we normally don't try and think about. But by not thinking about it, it stands a good chance of doing us in. I truly believe that the path to change comes from awareness. That awareness alone can begin to create the transformation. There is a way out of this. We humans must accept that infinite growth on a finite planet is suicide. We must accept that our human presence is already far beyond sustainability and all that that implies. We must take control of our environmental movement and our future from billionaires and their permanent war on planet Earth. They are not our friends. Less must be the new more. And instead of climate change, we must at long last accept that it's not the carbon dioxide molecule destroying the planet. It's us. It's not one thing, but everything we humans are doing. A human-caused apocalypse. If we get ourselves under control, all things are possible. You're listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. So, in a world where we must be forced to have less and do less, all things are possible. (laughs) To a demented, deranged mind, perhaps. Michael Moore, Jeff Gibbs, and Ozzie Zayner are primitives who are unable to conceptualize how either nature or human nature function and thrive in harmony. They are like the cargo cult of the environmental movement. Cause and consequence are completely lost on them. And note that the filmmakers do not lament the incredible environmental destruction wrought by renewable energy projects that they so boldly illustrate in their movie, but lament instead that private enterprise has capitalized on their movement. Profits are the evil consequence, not all of the forests raised, etc. If that same damage had been done by non-profit agencies or government directly, they would be praising it. And I'm being serious, no exaggerations necessary. Quote, Once you advocate green technology that people profit from, you lose your role as an independent person about the truth, end quote. Wow. Reduce, reuse, recycle. You know, any person who's being economical is already doing this, but the basic necessities of life require food, shelter, and housing, and transportation, I suppose, and these are not recyclable. 
Once I've eaten something, it is no longer possible to reuse or recycle what I've eaten, except in the minds of Moore, Gibbs, and Zayner, so you know what that makes them full of. We have to change our operating system before we can move forward, says Ozzy Zayner. Well, given that they falsely believe that capitalism is the operating system, it's pretty clear what they want to destroy. But they're never explicit about the evil they want to unleash. Collectivism in all its variants. These are not new ideas. They're as old as the hills. And notice how they always speak in doublespeak and never really get explicit about what they're saying or what they would really do. It's not the CO2 molecule that's destroying the planet, it's us. <laughs> so in other words, you've been lying to us all this time, telling us it was a CO2 molecule. This again is another reason that the Canadian left-wing politicians hate this film. <laughs> it's not one thing, but everything that human beings are doing. So there's no winning on those terms, is there? Everything. Every human. Georgia Pacific, owned by the Cope brothers who are likely the largest recipient of green energy biomass subsidies in the United States, they say. But where do those subsidies come from? From government, of course. The whole industry to which the movie's producers object would not exist without government subsidies, and yet they arrive at the moronic conclusion that the merger of environmentalism and capitalism is now complete. This is crony politics, and the business people who take advantage of it are no capitalists. They are socialists. The conditions that the movie's producers are objecting to are all direct consequences of their own philosophies and outlooks. But they're suffering from a deep ingrained delusion that people will not act in their self-interest and will act in the interest of others. When it comes to the environment, what's the difference? If I'm to be enslaved for the self-interest of others, which would be altruistic, and if others were to be enslaved for my self-interest, how does that change anything? What it changes is that the force of government has to be in charge of that. What they're trying to do is separate the point of self-interest from the action required to fulfill the interest. I have a need, you have to serve it. You have a need, I have to serve it. Pure socialism. No self-interest allowed. Only the continual interests of others who are no longer selves. We humans must accept that infinite growth on a finite planet is suicide. Well, that very notion is suicide. Infinite growth is the nature of life. And note that the word infinite is a term that relates to time, not to mass. Infinity relates to an abstracted projection into the future or into the past. Quote, the only reason we think it's survivable is because basically this growth machine has served us very well. Well, maybe we're doing better than we were, and we confuse that with how the planet's doing, end quote. Holy cow. In other words, humanity has never performed better than under capitalism, but healthy and prosperous human beings must be altruistically sacrificed on the altar of how the planet is doing. For the record, the planet always fares better under capitalism than under any other system from both the environmental perspective and from a reduced population perspective. The greatest population explosions occur in the have-not areas of the world, not in the wealthier nations. It is an inescapable reality that all life depends on some kind of perpetual growth, and when that process ends, so does the species affected by it. Basic survival depends entirely on perpetual growth, never on stagnancy or regression. No species can survive like that. The beauty of the human species is the discovery of capitalism, which is a moral, not an economic system. And that's another reason the left hates capitalism. Leftist ideologies demand immoral and rights-violating actions in order to be carried out. 
So you can see why Salim Mansour wrote that he has nothing but contempt for Michael Moore and his work and his politics and simply the, dis the disgusting person he is. Salim properly identified the self-loathing of the left as a key component of what drives them. When people hate themselves, then they will hate others as well, and no amount of altruistic virtue signaling can hide that. To love others, you must first learn to love yourself, and if you don't respect your own life, liberty, and property, you certainly won't respect that of others. So we should not be in the least bit surprised that those on the left are completely happy about the COVID-19 shutdown, because remaining shut down is the road to death and destruction. Fortunately, more people are waking up to that reality and are now beginning to speak out. Coming up next, from April 27th, Rebel Media's David Menzies' coverage of a protest against the shutdown that was held in Toronto. David Menzies for Rebel News here at Queen's Park in Toronto. Well, folks, the nature of this protest is... Well, the people are just sick and tired of being cooped up for what they presumably see as no reason. They want to get back to work, get back to school, be able to go out in the outdoors and not have to worry about a ticket for almost $1,000. Uh, in any event, I'm going to wander into the park. Some of the protesters are gathering right now and see what it is that they are hoping to achieve today. So, sir, what brings you out to this protest? I miss my country. Uh, I'm a, a citizen and an individual who lived, I thought, in Canada. This has uh, degenerated into China, unfortunately. Um, well, we just want to tell the tyrants that they need to stop what they're doing. And whatever the threshold is for taking away our freedoms and suspending the Constitution, COVID-19 has not uh, met that threshold. The death rate for COVID has been 0.2% of a regular flu season. No hospitals are in a war zone condition. It just doesn't make sense. What we hear is not the same as what we see. And I think it's easy enough to look out your own window and actually see that uh, it's a little bit hyped up by the media. It's because Rebel News isn't allowed to interview Trudeau because he cherry-picks the people, the news outlets, that he has bought. Trudeau admires the authoritarian regime in place in China, and so we can see that as I... As I look around, I don't recognize this country anymore. You can't go for a walk without being harassed by police. I was harassed by police walking my two kids like a month ago. Literally a block away from my house and they're three and four and I was like, I gotta get them out. It's a joke. It's, it's an infringement on our charter rights to be able to not use green spaces that we're paying for. So, like, enough's enough. My mental health depends on this. And so do everybody else. It's not just a haircut. Healthy people should not be sacrificed mercilessly for the sake of a tiny minority who do desperately need help, such as those elderly and the people with lung problems, complications. The sick need to be quarantined. The vulnerable needs to be protected. But all jobs are essential. Everybody needs to slowly come back to life or we are going to end up having a massive recession in our economy. It is going to destroy people. If you're scared, you can go hide and be live in a bubble, be bubble boy if you want to, but the rest of us should carry on. I have my son's going off to college in September and I'm not gonna be able to pay tuitions off government subsidies and like 
even people going back after this does end, it's going to be a trickle effect. It's not going to be a mass hiring where everybody gets their jobs back. It's going to be a slow trickle. And that means for me, it could be long term, could be six months, could be a year. I don't even know if I have a job to go back to. The devastation that is happening in our country and in our world is going to be devastating for years to come and our children are going to be paying for this. People's jobs are essential. People need to survive. They need to put food on their tables, take care of their children, take care of their, their parents or they have extended family members in our household, rent, hydro, like this stuff costs money. And the money that they're providing only goes so far. For every 1% the economy goes up for unemployment, 36,000 deaths. The deaths will be worse if we crash this economy and go into a depression than what the virus will ever do. The original reason for the lockdown was to flatten the curve. It was to prevent an overwhelming of the healthcare system and to protect the vulnerable and the immunocompromised. Mission accomplished. What you should do is just open up the entire economy all at once and let people be responsible, mature adults like they are and take care of their own health. We have room for COVID patients now, but all of the other patients that had cancer surgeries, that had orthopedic surgeries, they are all sitting at home scared that they're not going to get the treatment that they need. And when the hospitals open up and accept other patients, the, the people that were put on hold, there is going to be a tidal wave of people waiting and the lineups are going to get longer and the healthcare system is going to be overwhelmed for years. Ford doesn't care about the most vulnerable, neither does Trudeau. We want they knew that they knew what was happening in those homes. They knew exactly what was happening. And because of them, those poor seniors died. My concern was with the seniors' homes. Uh, it should have been taken care of right away. There was no mask given to the workers in there, which China took all the masks from what we can gather. Uh, there was no temperatures taken on the people that worked there. There was nothing given to the people that worked at Tim Hortons. Now they came out last night. I've seen it on the, on the news that they're giving no masks. Where were the masks like a month ago? Well, well, sir, if you had the Prime Minister's ear or the Premier's ear here in uh, Ontario, uh, what advice would you give them? What would you like to see happen? Reopen the country and uh, aim for the herd immunity that we need to get over any sickness. Because we have not done that yet. We've stayed locked up. And that does not allow the herd immunity to build up. We need herd immunity, not vaccine immunity. We can't keep printing money. We want to go back to work. A controlled or a yellow light opening up of the economy is just the same as a semi-controlled hypocritical shutdown. There's, it's, it's, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, I have to give you that point, but sir, what do you say to people who say that we agree with your, um, you know, your, your protest, we agree that we want to open up the economy, but to do so right now, uh, it might be, you know, taking one step back in terms of the uh, Wuhan virus protocols. Yeah, absolutely, and I'd be 100% behind you if it wasn't for the fact the LCBO is still open, Walmart's still open, major corporations are still open, uh, RBC, CIBC, TD Bank, they're all still open, but the small businesses in my town aren't allowed to operate. We need to have access to green space, we need to have access to small shops and communities opening back up again, because not every community has got large corporate companies in it. Their stores, or the liquor stores, was taxed back into the government's pocket. That's why they're open. Do you believe the narrative from the government and the health authorities that 
if we rush to open the economy, we might be in a, a bigger pandemic with a second wave of the virus hitting? Or do you think they're just being w way too overcautious? Well, it's, it's difficult for me to really comment on that because I'm not a healthcare professional. Um, but what, what I would say is I would say that perhaps as an interim solution, we can do things such as mitigate risk and wear a mask, for example. And we're, we're seeing many other jurisdictions nearby in North America which are reopening. So if this is an international pandemic, if other nearby jurisdictions are remaining open and we're not, we're at a very, very serious economic disadvantage. We're burning down the house to get rid of the termites. We obviously can't totally eliminate this virus, but in the meantime, we really just can't grind our economy to the ground. So as the protest peters out, folks, what have we learned? Well, a few things. One is the overall feeling here is that the cure for this pandemic is worse than the disease itself. Namely, shutting down the economy has caused enormous frustration and not to mention people having bills piling up, people being stressed out beyond belief. They want to get back to work. They want to get back to school. They want to be doing things as opposed to just waiting around. Uh, secondly, there's absolutely no love in the way in which uh, the Trudeau Liberals have managed this pandemic crisis, nor is there much love for the mainstream media. Many critics here are upset at what a gentle ride the Liberals have been given in terms of the management of the Wuhan virus. And finally, despite the overall presence of law enforcement here today, I didn't witness a single ticket for one of those infamous $880 coronavirus tickets being handed out. Wow, talk about herd immunity indeed. For Rebel News, I'm David the Menzoid Menzies. We're burning down the house to get rid of the termites. What an apt description of this whole situation that one of the protesters described it as. By the way, three of the comments you just heard in that report by David Menzies were actually made by our own Ted Harlson, who has appeared on Just Right on a number of occasions and who is also an executive member of the Freedom Party of Ontario. He's the one who suggested that healthy people should not be sacrificed mercilessly for the sake of a tiny minority that do need help. He also suggested we should open the entire economy all at once. And he was the one who said a controlled or yellow light opening of the economy is just the same as a semi-controlled hypocritical shutdown. So, not surprisingly, Ted's comments mirror my own. And as I pointed out at the beginning of our show today, talk of managing the economic recovery is that of communist and fascist announcing that the state is now permanently in charge of private enterprise and business. This poses a tremendous risk to all of us far greater than anything we have to fear from a virus that we can individually hide from if we so choose. Well, it begs the question, doesn't it? Essential to whom? And I'm surprised these folks picked up on this right away. I thought I'd beat them to the punch, but they beat me to the punch. You know, what, what do politicians really mean when they use the word essential? They always use the word essential services when it comes to government services, don't they? Generally, that's what they're talking about. Public transit, schools, hospitals, mail service. 
you know, police, banking, government-run alcohol outlets, and the like. Those are their essential services because those are the essentials of their making money. Yet all of these essential services are constantly interrupted by labor strikes and now during this pandemic have either closed or severely reduced their hours. Ironically, essential services were those that were not allowed to go on strike. Now grocery stores, pharmacies, and large department stores have become essential, but in the end, all of this is essentially arbitrary. <laughs> Remember when Ontario Premier Doug Ford went into a raging virtue signal over some drugstore price gouging on Lysol wipes that were being sold at $29 a tube? Apparently he regarded those Lysol wipes as something very essential. Went nuts on them. But to force his judgment on what is and is not essential on all of us is reprehensible. It is utterly unnecessary. And the bottom line is, Every job is essential to the person whose job it is. And many government jobs in themselves are counterproductive and therefore are not essential in the slightest, which is why on an earlier show, Paul McKeever pointed out that Doug Ford's job was certainly not on the essential list. No doubt, when essential services were cited in the context of this pandemic, Trudeau and Ford and the gang were likely thinking along the lines of essential to the bare subsistence or existence of human life, primarily meaning food and required medicines. In other words, they view human beings not much differently than animals. Maybe that's why they like the term herd immunity. But all we get left with is herd stupidity. I still maintain that they had neither the right nor legitimate authority to extend their shutdown beyond the shortest and essential length of time necessary to assess the immediate life-threatening risks of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. And I agree with the protesters that all of the criteria they cited in justifying the shutdown have already been met or were never an issue to begin with. And now we have no specifics as to what metric will be used in their determination of when the shutdown will end. And finally, one more dispatch from inside an Ontario hospital by Anon, who wrote us, and I quote, a physician colleague with whom I share my thoughts because he's a sympathetic ear told me, realistically, nobody's going to listen to you. I told him that I don't expect to convince anyone or even completely change anybody's mind. But what I have noticed is that when you state a radical position like end the lockdown now, you're setting the terms of the debate. People then feel permitted to express at least partial agreement with me. They can't evade any longer what they see with their own eyes when you punch through the socially acceptable narrative. I said I know most doctors and nurses sit somewhere in the middle. But right now the agenda is being set by the extremists in government and public health that want to arbitrarily extend the lockdown as long as absolutely possible, if not forever. My role is to be that voice that says, no, end the lockdown now, because frankly, everyone else in the middle is conceding indefinite lockdown. Nobody has any passion. I see an emasculated bunch who have conceded our world to neurotic materialism on overdrive, end quote. <laughs> wow. And on that note, I invite all of you to petition your politicians and representatives to end the lockdown now. And at the same time, I also invite you to join us again next week when we will continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be all right.
But it was a good idea you made. It was a good choice tonight to come out and sit beside total strangers. <laughs> At least I'm out of the air. I can run, you know? At least I can flee when I see it. I don't want to alarm anybody at all, but I could uh, sneeze on you. <laughs> and it would be the equivalent of uh, like a nine millimeter, you know, 